Hi, welcome back. I am so excited today to have one of my very dearest friends, Dr. Princess Thomas on the show. Princess had a big dream when she was just a little girl to become a doctor and ultimately a surgeon. You know, as we've all experienced in some way, big dreams often don't come easy. And in Princess's case, there were a whole lot of obstacles, but her story is such a story of hope. She was encouraged to dream big and never give up by her grandmother, whom she says was the strongest woman she's ever known. And then there was a doctor in her small Southern town of Columbus, Georgia, who also nurtured her dreams and mentored her in the most generous of ways. Join us today as we step into this first episode of a great, powerful story. Hey, Princess, I'm so glad to be with you here today. Hi. Hi, Dr. You? Princess. So excited to have you with us today, and we can't wait to dive in and ask you all the questions. Okay, so Princess, you know, we talked about this um, when we were talking earlier. When did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? What motivated that? I was about maybe five or six years old, the first time I muttered those words. And I'll be honest, you know, and I'm, my, I'm a, y'all, my long-term memory is not great. I remember a lot of things like right now, but like the, the, the first thing that I remember, you know, dating back to when I said, okay, I wanted to be a doctor is, it was just very interesting because a lot of kids, when they were going to the doctor, cause they had to get their vaccines or they had to get their checkups before school, they would be scared and everybody's crying and I don't want to get a shot. But I just remember never being scared. Right. And I'm like, I like to go to the doctor. What is wrong with y'all? You were curious. <laughs> but did anybody say to you, like your mom or your grandmom or anybody yeah. in your circle, did anybody say, baby, that's great, but, or baby, that's maybe, maybe, maybe that's not going to work for you. I mean, you weren't in a, no, you weren't in a household who ha that had the money to send you to medical school. Right. But, but they let you, they fostered that dream, right? Absolutely. There was never a person, whether it was my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncle, no one ever said, oh, no, that's too far-fetched. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Or I don't know. What's your plan B? You know, those words were never said. It was, okay, you want to be a doctor? You're telling me you, telling me you want to be a doctor? All right, we're doing our homework before you go outside and play after school. You know, you're going to have to put action to your words. But it was never, never questioned. Princess, when you were growing up and you wanted to be a doctor, were you exposed to any uh, African-American doctors? Did you know anybody that was African-American and was a doctor? Was there anybody in your circle, your family? I had two, um, two mentors growing up. Um, both of which I shadowed and one was an uh, African-American male, um, Dr. Alonzo Jones in Columbus, Georgia, and he's still practicing. He's a cardiologist. Oh, wow. And then Dr. Philip Brewer, he was a cardiothoracic surgeon. So everybody was heart centered. Right. Um, and, and he was, he was a, a Caucasian, uh, older gentleman. Um, so I had a little bit of both. I didn't have any females, but I did have. Um, you know, a cardiologist that was, like I said, he was an African-American and um, Dr. Brewer. And he ended up being the one that fostered me or kind of pushed me into the field of surgery. And, you know, I love that story. I didn't know that you also had an African-American mentor who, um, mm -hmm. you know, helped you in, you know, kind of guide you as well as Dr. Brewer. 
Um, but right. so you, so you did have, I, I guess what, what we're trying to look for is how gorgeous is it that you had both an African-American doctor and a white doctor who were encouraging you and, and helping you dream this into reality. Um, will you right. tell us the story? I think you were eight years old and you went to the doctor with your grandmother, Dr. Brewer. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell, right. tell us that story. I love the story. Make it long. It makes me, it's like my bedtime story. <laughs> okay. So I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I was maybe late to middle school thereabout. Um, but I went with my great grandmother who actually would have turned 105 a couple of days ago. Um, she passed in, in 2019. But um, I was going to the doctor with her. She was seeing Dr. Philip Brewer once again. He was a cardiothoracic surgeon because she had some plaque in her artery in her neck. And so he was seeing her for that. And he you know, did his subsequent workup and all the things and determined that she needed surgery. In the meantime, you know, this doesn't happen over one doctor's visit. Right. So, you know, I went with her to several of those visits and, you know, he went out of his way to ask me a young black girl just sitting in there with her great grandma. You know, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, because a lot of people were like, well, I don't know, you know, but I want to be a doctor. And he's like, oh, OK. And then he took it, a, you know, took it up a notch. He's like, well, what kind of doctor? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was a good enough answer. Right. I love that you had so many people that encourage you. That they, it, yes. it doesn't sound like you had people that were like, oh no, you're a woman. Oh no, you're black. Oh no, we don't have the money. It was like you were so blessed with so many people in your surrounding, even the people that were not your family, that were, they believed in you. Yeah, absolutely. So continue absolutely. the Dr. Brewer story. Sorry we interrupted. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. And he said, well, have you thought about surgery? When he said that, I said, well, I hadn't thought about that, sir. You know, and he said, well, why don't you come follow me and operate? And I was oh, like, okay. my goodness. I'm like, you know, and I didn't know like what that, I didn't know that meant that I'm going to see someone's chest get cracked open because he does open heart surgeries. And you're only right? in middle school. I mean, you're what, 11, 12? Yeah. Yeah, like not that far out from being a candy striper. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's like, well, okay. Like, all right, now, now, excuse my language, it's time to go balls to the wall now, you know? Like, he's like, let's let's go to surgery. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So fast forward, we go to surgery, you know, and I, you know, I mean, just the simple things that, you, you know, if you're not in that arena, you don't know, you have to put on a hat, you have to put on a mask, you have to put on shoe covers. You know, you have to do all these things and this is honest, I mean, this is way pre-COVID. No one is used to walking around with a mask on. Right. Nor do you think about, you know, you are you have on a mask, so you're, you know, this you're breathing this recirculated air that's just going in and out of this mask. And and honestly, it's something to get used to. Absolutely. You know, so that as well as I learned the hard way, when you're in the operating room, you don't stand there with your knees just kind of, you know. You kind of have to bend your knees a little bit. You don't just stand like just straight up because after a while, your body's not used to it and you will pass out. You know, these are things that I didn't know until I passed out a couple of times, (laughs) you know, and I woke up in his office and I'm like, oh my Lord, this man is going to say, this is not for you, sugar. This is just not for you. 
And, but he never said it. I, you know, I woke up and he said, how you feeling? I said, I'm okay. What happened? He said, well, you fell out. I said, okay. And he said, well, let's get back in there. Oh my goodness. How amazing. Like, I mean, it's y'all, this is. I love him so I, much. I love how he was amazing. Him. He could have said, you know, he could have said, honey, this is, this, this isn't for you. This is not your thing. Or just ignored you and said, I got to yeah. do this. I'm in a heart surgery. Sorry you passed out. I got to get on with this. But yeah. he still, like, yeah. he he still nurtured you. He he really yeah. was deeply nurturing a dream within you right there in that operating room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, I fell out at least twice. And, you know, every single time he's like, come on, come on, come on. And, you know, and, and that's what I did and, and until I finally got the hang of it, you know. And I'm like, well, you know what? This is pretty doggone awesome. You know, you can put somebody on a pump to recirculate their blood while you stop their heart for a certain amount of time to fix something. Like, that is mind-blowing to me. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's where my initial dream, you know, of now, not only do I want to be a doctor, I want to be a surgeon. I want to be a heart surgeon, mm -hmm. right? And so that that's what kind of took me there. And you know, obviously, and he was older at the time. And of course, now he's retired and hopefully enjoying the fruits of his labor. Um, but that's that's really how I got my start. So it automatically leads me into part of your story that I find so absolutely gorgeous. Um, so you mentioned that you were raised predominantly by your grandmother. What was her name? So her name was Idella, although she went by Della. Um, she was, and still is really one of the strongest women I have ever met. You know, she was, uh, born in the late 1930s. So as you can imagine, you know, in Georgia and Alabama, how difficult that was as an African-American woman. Um, however, you know, she overcame, she ended up moving to Columbus, Georgia, which is where I was raised. Um, she married a soldier, uh, in Fort Benton. Georgia, and that kind of began everything, and that's how my family landed um, in the Columbus, Georgia area. But I mean, when I tell y'all this lady could do anything, I mean, absolutely anything from, you know, she would go outside and grill ribs, right? She would barbecue <laughs> ribs, she would cut the grass, she, you know, she had a garden outside because. Once again, my grandfather was in the military, so he was gone most of the time. But she did everything. She was a master barber and cosmetologist. She was a school crossing guard. She was the first African-American deputy sheriff in Columbus, Georgia. I love it. I love it. You've talked to me about, um, you know, we've been friends for so long. I know a lot of your stories, and I treasure your stories. Um, I take them with me. Um, and you've been with me through thick and thin in the hardest times of my life, so thank you, friend. Um, but, you know, you've talked to me, and it just makes me smile from ear to ear about how you've hit hard times in life, and you've hit times like when you're in medical school and you're a single mother, and it was so much going on. I mean, I look at it, you look at it, and go, how in the world were you doing that? And you said, well, <laughs> my grandmother could do all the things she did. There was no way that I wasn't going to do it. You know, it's very interesting, too, because I went to Tuskegee University for undergrad and um, I double majored 
degrading school, had a good time in school too, obviously. But between my third and fourth year of undergrad, I had just won Miss Tuskegee. So I was crowned the university queen, oh, right? Wow. Oh my God. So all of this had just happened. It was Memorial Day of 2004. And Tuskegee and Columbus are only 45 minutes apart. So I was driving back home early on Memorial Day that morning because my grandma called me and told me I needed to get back home. You know, it's about to be a bad storm. And I'm not going to lie, I had stayed up and partied all night, y'all. <laughs> I had a blast. A absolute blast. So hanging out with my sorority sisters, all the things. And I was driving back home, trying to beat the storm, and I fell asleep and ran into a tree. Uh -uh. Oh, my God. I woke up on a backboard. Uh -uh. So, once again, this was Memorial Day 2004. I was about to start my senior year of college. And through that ordeal, I broke both of my arms. <gasps> no. I had a cast on both arms. Uh -uh. I had a huge cut over my eye. I had bruised ribs. Y'all, all the things. Now, I bring this story up only to, to tell you a little bit more about my grandmother. Because I was slated that summer. Keep in mind, we're talking about May. I was slated that summer to go to the Medical College of Georgia for a pre-med program. Wow. And, you know, you have to, you have to do testing. You have to do, like, all the things. You got to go to class. Keep in mind, we're talking about... Uh, you know, I have no use of my arms. I'm in a cast in both arms. I can't shower. I can't, you know, I can't do anything without assistance. Y'all, my grandmother <laughs> came with me to Augusta, Georgia for that summer. Oh, my goodness. I love her so much. bathed me. We're talking about, how old was I then? I guess 20. Bathed me. Cooked for me. All the things that summer, that way I could still do, um, you know, be a part of that pre-med program. Because keep in mind, at this whole time, I want to be a doctor and I need to do the things that I need to do, you know, preliminarily to make that happen. <laughs> Y'all, I will never, ever forget that. When I say, you know, let's just talk about humility, right? Because now it's like you're in college and you, you know... Your grandma is wiping your butt. <laughs> you know, like y'all, it was, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what I would have done without her. But I mean, that so speaks to, you know, so seldom do people who have the kind of support you had. Now, right. you went through a lot with your grandmother raising you. We don't have to necessarily go there, but you went through a lot being with your grandmother instead of your mom. But to have that support, that love, and she from the stories you've told me, just, it's like she gave you injections of courage and had a dream for yourself. Right, right. You know, and it, and it wasn't just her saying it, it was her showing it. You know, she put action so, behind yeah, yeah. words. And I think that that's, you know, that's really one of the most important things because people can talk until they're blue in the face. Right. But if they're not showing you and they're not backing up the things that they're telling you, then it really means nothing. Yeah. You know, and she consistently put action behind her word, Absolutely. you know, and and she always told us how much she believed in us. Right? But, at, but right. at the same time, I mean, it begs the question, you are in a small southern town that is deeply divided, white and black. I know Columbus, Georgia pretty well. Mm -hmm. When did you begin to feel any discrimination because of your color? 
I will be honest, and this may sound completely absurd. I never felt it. I never felt it until I got to residency and I realized that I was the first black female surgery resident that they'd had. And this is in 2010. You know, that's like you know, the so most phenomenal story I've ever heard. And the fact that you went through all of school and you didn't have any racial issues, any discrimination, that's something for no. us just to jump up and down and applaud and go, how many stories can we have like but that? But I think I it's it. part of the fact that she had right. such a good village around her. I agree with you. Like, it sounds like your family and the people that you were around you were so encouraging and so positive that you were in this circle of like, we all belong in, in positive and dreams that the moment that you went out, that's when you experienced. Because, right, right. That's absolutely right. Because you, you because had so much love and, and positive that you you probably didn't even notice even if it was happening to you. That's a very good point. I think that's probably what it was. I probably just didn't notice it. I was so naive and I was so well taken care of at home, you know, with my mother and my grandmother. The power that, of know, a grandmother's that, love, I'm telling you. Yeah. You know, and I mean, they broke so many barriers. It, it was never like, you can't do this. That, I mean, that was never even a thought, you know? So it, it was just kind of one of those things. And I'm sure it was there. I just never felt any of the repercussion of it. Which is absolutely the most phenomenal story. I hope there are a lot more right. like yours. But I'll tell you what was hard and what has always been hard for me. It's not just the test that you take in the classroom. It's standardized tests, right? So when you have to take the MCAT, the Medical College Admissions Test, when you have to take, you know, these different standardized tests when you're going through your surgery training, those tests were always difficult for me. That is something that I struggle, struggle with, you know? And so, you know, I think that, because even when I was at Tuskegee, I went to Auburn and took some of the, um, the MCAT, you know, pre-admission tests, just to, you know, some of their the courses to try to get ready for that test. And, you know, and I still didn't do good. <laughs> well, and I'm glad so there's something that you didn't do well at, okay? <laughs> Thank God there's just one little thing. <laughs> I'm so tired of your success story, Princess. No. <laughs> but y'all, it was so hard. It was so hard. And I'm just sitting here, I'm like, now, you know, and I did practice tests and all these things and it was just so difficult. And I still didn't make great scores, right? Right. If you don't make good scores, you cannot get in. It doesn't matter that you had a 4.2 GPA. That does not matter. You have to be able to do well on these standardized tests. And so once again, for me, that was really a struggle. And so, you know, I finished at Tuskegee um, and then... I didn't get into med school that first year. Wow. wow. What did you know, that do to you? What what happened? Well, You'd never had a setback. What I did that year was I still went to Meharry, but I did a post-baccalaureate program. And it was a year of intense training that you did not get a degree from, but it was, okay, if you want it that bad, you're going to have to invest a year. You're going to have to study and you're going to have to take that test again. And you got to make this particular score. And if you don't, you still can't get in. Oh, wow. 
So <laughs> was your yeah. courage knocked down? Was your confidence knocked down? It was, it was, but you know what? The thing that pushed me outside of my religious beliefs was that I did not have a plan B. There was nothing else that I wanted to do. So there were no other options. So this is what I have to do. And this is the score I have to make. And if I have to take the test 10 times, I'll just, you know, whenever I become a doctor, I guess I'll be a little older, you know, but that was the only thing that I wanted to do. So what do you mean this pushed me outside of my religious beliefs? No, I was saying in a, maybe I misspoke. In addition to my religious beliefs, because you said what kind of yeah. kept me going. Yeah. Oh, you know, the addition. two things that kept me going were my religious beliefs, right? I believed in God. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I mean, I did that. I, I wrote that in calligraphy. Oh. I put that on my wall, oh. right? Because I can do anything I put my mind to. This test that I didn't pass doesn't mean I'm not going to pass it in the future. So my religious beliefs, as well as the fact that there was not a plan B, there was not a, okay, well, I'll go do this if I can't be a doctor. There was nothing else. So that was it. I was just going to do it no matter how long it took. You're okay with failing. Like it was okay. It's not, oh, it's not like a deal, but yeah, okay. Right. I'm going to study more and I'm going to make right. it happen because this is what I want. Because sometimes people just get so they allow the failure to really the, um, to, put them down. to put them down, but to become their identity. Yeah, absolutely. And you right. didn't allow that to happen to you. And it just gave you more gas to be like, nope, mm -hmm. I'm going to study better. Just like how you were with your friend in school. And you're like, oh, you did 107. I'm going to study more. I'm going to be better. You have this yeah. drive that I love so much. And when you finally got to the test... Like, how many times did you have to take that test? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so I took the MCAT, I believe, three times. Okay. And um, that last time that I took it, which was that year that I was in the post-baccalaureate program at Meharry, I think I think I had to make like a, maybe a 25 was, uh, was the number. And I made a 25. Woo! <laughs> what a beautiful and powerful story. The love of a grandmother teaching a young girl to go for broke with her dreams. And the unexpected mentorship, where in this rare story, color and race seem to disappear. Join us next week as we continue with Dr. Princess's story.